This is the Police Canine Training Podcast with Jeff Meyer. Join us for each episode to get real-world advice from canine professionals who have experience on the street. Each episode will focus on up-to-date information that you can use on the street. Spend about 30 minutes with us each week as part of your training day. Our goal at Police Canine Training is to make every canine team be the best they can be. Welcome to the Police Canine Training Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I have uh, Mike Kamisic from Sheepdog Guardian with me. Uh, Mike and I have talked a little bit. We're going to have him as a regular feature here on this new podcast, coming on and, and doing some updates on some of the classes and some of the cases that he's putting out on his website. So if you're not a member of Sheepdog Guardian, you know, stop what you're doing, get online, join up. It's worth every single penny. He puts a ton of work into research in all these cases. If you, you know, especially for, you know, narc dog handlers, there's lots of evolving case law all the time. And then of course for patrol dog handlers, there's liability stuff going on. So, uh, definitely I, I recommend it. I'll put a link to the, the um, website and uh, Mike's contact information in this, in the show notes here. But in the meantime, you know, sit back and we're going to talk about a couple of important subjects that uh, Mike's tracking right now. So, uh, Mike, how are you doing today? I, I'm doing well, Jeff. Thanks uh, very much for uh, having me on. And um, very busy. So we're excited to be here. I know you're I know you're busy, but I also know you have some big news about your uh, your police job. <laughs> that is correct. I uh, wound up um, retiring. My last official day on the uh, the books was August 14th of this year. Um and uh so yeah very excited um you know busier yeah. now as we sure. talked about off uh, air busier now than we were uh we were before but um yeah i'm excited there's just so much that i i mean i love being the police and i love being a dog handler but there was just so much that i want to do with our business that really i was being stifled um you know working full-time and stuff uh, sure. uh and you know expanding out the business and that, that kind of stuff so Sure. It's definitely worked out. So yeah, very excited. Yeah. And that's what, uh, as a, you know, I retired at the beginning of this year and, uh, what I've, everybody's asked how they like it. And all I can tell them is I, I highly recommend it. So, you know, stay, (laughs) stay healthy and get to, get to the retirement part of it because, uh, even, you know, I'm sure you're probably like you, I had, I had fantastic bosses at the end at the best bosses I ever had, but having no boss is better than the best boss. So it's uh, nice having that that freedom of being able to schedule the classes when you need to and and kind of focus on yourself and your family and all that kind of stuff so good for you yeah for sure yeah i appreciate it and you know um over the years <clears throat> 28 years total law enforcement i mean you've missed out on a lot of family uh yeah a lot of family so you're gonna try to get some of that some of that time back and and uh, still contribute uh um, hopefully mightily to the, uh, to the canine industries. Yeah. Outstanding. So, uh, we've talked about, you know, having you on here kind of regularly. Um, so we'll focus on, you know, whatever is the kind of the topic of the day or topic of the month, because I know that changes rapidly and you spend a lot of time researching all these. So, you know, we're recording this right now at the beginning of December, it'll come out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, what, what, uh, you want to, uh, talk about either some big things that happened this year or you got something that uh, is uh, coming forward that people need to know about? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, 
I want to talk about um, kind of a trend that we're seeing in our civil liability cases, Section 1983, um, as it relates to malicious prosecution and uh, resisting arrest. And um, there's some collateral or peripheral uh, issues that I see starting to pop up here um, that I'd like to discuss over the next uh, coming months and, and okay. uh, podcast. Um, as they relate to uh, narcotics, uh, specifically the documentation side of things, we're starting to see some things pop up that um, I, I kind of figured were, were going to start presenting themselves and um, um, talk about some um, cases as it relates to um, using the dog to find uh, people on psych calls or you know uh, mental illness calls and okay. things like that. Those are some of the the kind of issues that I'd like to talk about in the next uh, coming podcasts and stuff like that. Okay, that sounds good to me. Um, why don't we start with, um, I think, um, well, let's start with some issues that are coming up on our Section 1983 lawsuits, which, for those of you who don't know, Section 1983 is the uh, civil liability side for um, deprivation of rights under color of law. And uh, this is where we get held um, civilly liable. And basically what Section 1983 says is that if we deprive somebody of a constitutional right uh, while we are acting under the color of law, um, then uh, we are liable to that party that is injured and in action at uh, a suit and uh, a, a lawsuit. Yeah. And so... Um, there's a couple things that we started to see, um, some case law that came out of the Supreme court. Now the Supreme court of the United States, generally speaking is, I don't want to say pretty good to law enforcement, but, uh, they're, they're pretty understanding about what our job is and how we have to, um, make these split second decisions under tense, uncertain and rapidly evolving, uh, situations. Um, but we do have a bad case that kind of popped up in 2022 and it's a case called Thompson versus Clark. Okay. And in this case, uh, Jeff, it, it really encompasses it's not a dog case, but it really encompasses, um, a malicious prosecution case. And, you know, I always try to tell our handlers out there, you know, your prosecutors, uh, first of all, don't fault them, number one, uh, uh, or be too hard on them um, until you've educated them, because their job is to prosecute crimes on behalf of the people of whatever state that you guys are operating in. And um, their, their focus is not on civil law. Sure. And so the the background or the fact pattern in this case is we have a woman that calls 911. And she reports that her um, brother-in-law is at a particular apartment with an infant child and that he is molesting or abusing the infant child at this apartment. Now, I think your listeners, uh, most of your listeners, that's going to be a law enforcement response. But this is New York City, and therefore it's an EMS response. So EMS <laughs> response apartment, they knock on the door. And Thompson pretty much tells them to go pound sand. Uh, so they leave and they contact NYPD. NYPD goes to the door. They knock on the apartment. And again, Thompson tells them pretty much to go pound sand. At which time the officers force entry into the apartment. They take Thompson to the ground 
and they uh, arrest him uh, under the obstructing police officer uh, statutes in New York. Now, they take the infant child over to the uh, hospital, and the attending physician examines the child and uh, concludes that the child is not being abused or molested, that the child has a slight case of diaper rash, which is consistent with the child's age. And um, so, of course, uh, the child is released. Now, when this case goes to court under the obstructing charge, lo and behold, as most of your listeners could probably um, relate to, the prosecutor makes a motion to dismiss sure. the charges without any comment. And the, the, uh, the trial judge grants the motion without comment um, to dismiss, which prompts uh, Thompson to file a Section 1983 lawsuit against the individual officers uh, for malicious prosecution. Now, um, the... District Court Judge in the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York uh, dismisses the case outright. And the basis for the dismissal is that um, Thompson did not actually show that he was innocent of the charges in which uh, the police brought against him. Okay. And um, what the district court judges said is in order for a police officer to be held liable under malicious prosecution, the plaintiff in the case, the person suing, would need to show that they were actually innocent. Um, and because he didn't do, do so, this case needed to be dismissed. Now, of course, Thompson doesn't like that answer, so he files an uh, appeal to the United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit that covers the state of New York. And the three-judge panel there affirms or upholds the lower district court's decision, again saying hey, if you're going to sue the police for malicious prosecution, you need to show that you were actually innocent of the charges. It's not sufficient just to have the prosecutors dismiss charges against you. Um, you, you have to show that you were actually innocent. In other words, you need sure. to be guilty. And, of course, Thompson doesn't like that answer, so he files a writ of certiorari to the Supreme Court of the United States, and we have a case called Thompson versus Clark. And this is a 20. 22 decision and the supreme court of the united states reversed the uh second circuit and the district court judge and reinstated the case and said listen thompson does not need to show uh, or have any showing that he was actually innocent of the charges in order to succeed in a section 1983 lawsuit so what does this mean for law enforcement officers generally speaking is that you know we're going to see a um, an uptick in civil lawsuits when we have these prosecutors as they do is to dismiss charges um, when we bring people in so um my suggestion uh, to try to get around this you know as best we can is um to when we have a prosecutor that's going to go ahead and just dismiss a case if they would get on the record that while the state might not meet their burden of proof, there was probable cause for the arrest and get the, uh, the defendant to agree that there was probable cause for the arrest. And therefore, there would you know, be no yeah. basis for a um, uh, malicious prosecution case. And on this topic, um, it brings me to another Supreme Court uh, case, Jeff, that I think is really important that every 
well, every canine handler, but every police officer sure. in it should be aware of. And it's a, it's a case that originated out of Indiana. And it's a case called Heck versus Humphrey. And um, it's a 1994 case. But what the Supreme Court of the United States said in this case is, if a lawsuit, a Section 1983 lawsuit, conflicts with the results of a criminal case, the suit must be dismissed. So if we just think about think about that line for a minute and then and relate it back to the Thompson versus Clark case. And you start hey, just connecting puzzle pieces, right? That's all we're doing here. Yeah. So we start thinking, okay, um, well, how does that work? Well, we all know um, when uh, we arrest somebody and you know we dog bite them, there better be uh, some sort of resisting law enforcement charge that accompanies that. Uh, because obviously that's the reason we're using force or we're using the dog is because there's some level of resistance. And uh, we all know what happens is, is um, this goes to court. Our prosecutors will dismiss the resisting charge in exchange for a plea on whatever the original yeah. charge for yeah. the arrest. Right. And um, so if you think about what the Supreme Court said here, um, we do ourselves big dis, uh, disservices by not fighting our prosecutors to keep the resisting charge and to drop every other charge. Because if the person pleads guilty um, or is found guilty to the resisting charge, they cannot come later in a lawsuit and say they were not resisting arrest. Okay. Because it would conflict with the results of that criminal case, and it is therefore barred under Heck versus Humphrey, and it's called the Heck Bar. So... Um, it's really important, I think, for the listeners to understand, okay, we have these, uh, we know these prosecutors are dismissing cases, so at least if we can get on the record that we had probable cause for the arrest, that'll save us under these, uh, or help to save or mitigate these malicious prosecution claims. But then if we can get the plea on the resisting arrest charge, um, we are really protecting ourselves um, under... Uh, Section 1983 for excessive force claims. Now, there is a caveat to this, and that is if the person alleges that they were resisting arrest, however, they stopped resisting arrest and the force continued, then, of course, it would not be barred by sure. by. Sure. But we can look at a couple cases here that are dog bite cases across the country um where we have this heck application and, and what i want the listeners to understand is this is why it's so important that we need to follow through uh with our cases especially when we have these resisting arrests and these dog bite uh dog bite cases that are there so we look at the fifth circuit court of appeals um we have a new orleans case uh, it's a case called hudson versus hughes and it's a 1996 case there and um, kind of the fact pattern is, is we have uh, Hudson. It's not really clear how he uh, got knocked off of his bicycle, but he got knocked off of his bicycle during a burglary uh, arrest. And he was bitten by a police dog during the course of this arrest. Uh, but the court records aren't clear exactly, uh, you know, how he yeah. got knocked off. I'm pretty sure the dog uh, uh, assisted there. Sure. And he's arrested for um, burglary uh, felon in possession of a firearm, battery to a police officer, battery to a police dog, resisting arrest, uh, resisting arrest by fleeing, possession of stolen property, and assault, and uh, finally carrying a concealed weapon. 
Now he pleads guilty uh, to these uh, offenses in state court. Um, and then he files a section 1983 lawsuit and alleges that he was not resisting arrest uh, when he was bitten by this, uh, by the police dog. Now, um, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals that covers Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi um, upheld the district court's um, dismissal of this case uh, under the heck. Uh, uh-huh. doctrine um, saying hey you cannot come back and say that you weren't resisting arrest and that no force would be necessary because you pled guilty to it uh in in uh you know yeah. state court yeah um we have another case here out of the sixth circuit uh methane versus city of cookville tennessee um the sixth circuit covers uh the great state of michigan uh we've got ohio uh tennessee and uh, the commonwealth of kentucky and uh, here we have uh, Matheny. He's driving his truck in a suspicious manner. And the officers attempt to stop his vehicle, at which point he leads them on a high-speed pursuit that goes um, you know, over like a seven-mile span. And um, he then uh, foot bails into a junkyard. Canine handler arrives, makes his canine warning announcement, and then releases the dog to search. The dog finds uh, Methane uh, hiding in the uh, uh, the junkyard and goes ahead and makes the apprehension, at which time Methane fights with the dog. And when the officers catch up to him, um, he starts fighting with the officers as well. And so we have a dog deployment plus a taser deployment, and uh, that was what ultimately gets Methane into custody. Now, um, at the state court level in Tennessee, he pleads guilty to this resisting arrest uh, reckless endangerment and uh, violation of Tennessee implied consent, uh, you know, statute and a felony evading arrest, and then files a lawsuit against the officers, claiming that the use of the dog and the taser was excessive because he was not resisting arrest. And the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, uh, again affirmed the dismissal of this case under the Heck Doctrine, saying mm-hmm. uh, you you can't come back and say yeah. that you weren't resisting uh, when in fact you pled guilty. So. We have um, kind of uh, these applications here um, of the heck bar. Um, now, again, um, I just want to point out to the listeners as it relates to this is that um, if the, the plaintiff makes an allegation that we have um, force that continues after they stopped resisting, then there would not be the application sure. of the heck bar. And the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in, in several canine cases um, was very clear to point that out. You have Hooper versus County of San Diego, a Ninth Circuit case uh, from 2011. Uh, it's that San Diego County Sheriff's Office there. And uh, a relatively new case, 2022 case, which is a published case out of the Ninth Circuit, Lemos versus uh, County of Sonoma, uh, at all, which originated out of Sonoma County there, um, where they pointed out, um, you know, uh, this principle. And so we start thinking about, okay, well, how does that apply to the dog? Well, I mean, Jeff, you know, as well as I do, the number one issue, uh, when we're looking at these lawsuits now, uh, on police dog bites, it's not the initial deployment, yeah. right? Yeah. Is the duration or the continuation uh, of the dog bite that is uh, really what we're losing on. Yeah. 
<clears throat> and then it brings back to, you know, it brings back to the discussion that um, we had previously had about uh, handlers and our industry, not just testing on the handler's ability to verbally release the dog, but, you know, also to um, be able to physically remove the dog uh, when it's appropriate and where that verbal, you know, maybe yeah. didn't work in the way. Yeah. And um, so uh, really important, I think, um, from a standpoint for handlers to understand this concept. And I want to tell you, I mean, you uh, have done quite a bit of expert witness work as as of I. And when you deal with these attorneys that are representing the canine handlers, it is really incumbent upon you uh, as a handler to educate Yeah own attorneys because some of the attorneys don't uh, you know understand some of these doctrines especially the heck uh the heck and so yeah um yeah so that's kind of where we're at there we wanted to uh make sure that uh, the handlers were kind of in the know on those two yeah and i think points. you know there are a couple of things i was thinking when you were talking about those um for you know whether you work for a large city or you work for a small maybe a smaller agency where you would deal with like a county prosecutor i think what you know, we as handlers, you know, we have a leash in our hand and that's so important to us. And it's just such a big part of our world that we assume everybody has that same mindset. And we always, I always try to remind people that, you know, whether it's even just, just your lieutenant who maybe has four divisions under him and canine is one small part of it. It's not that they don't care what we do. It's they don't know what we do and they trust us to kind of do it. And the prosecutors are going to be the same thing. I, I would yeah. imagine any prosecutor that you talk to probably has an an unbelievable amount of cases sitting on their desk that they're trying to work through. And if in their entire career as a prosecutor, if, you know, the average prosecutor deals with, you know, a handful of cases where there was a dog bite involved, I'd be surprised. So they don't know anything about us. They, you know, they, and I think a lot of them maybe assume they do because they've seen a police canine TV show or something. But I think, you know, going and educating them and having that, I always, you know, either whether I'm doing it as an expert witness, even with attorneys who defend the cops sometimes haven't dealt with police dogs. They think they know it. Definitely some prosecutors. So I think taking a little time of kind of being almost overtly friendly with them and, you know, talking about your dog or whatever and kind of getting that discussion going and opening it up. I don't think you can just walk in there and throw a case that you printed out off your website and say, you need to know this. I think you have to spend a little time almost softening them up that, you know, so they understand they don't know what they don't know. And I mean, is that kind of been your experience? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree 100%. And, and, um, you know, some of these attorneys, they're, they're, they're difficult. Um, these prosecutors or, um, even the civil, you know, these civil defense attorneys, sometimes it is difficult. Um, the civil defense attorneys are generally, uh, well, they deal with you and I as, you know, maybe a, a, from an expert yeah. standpoint, they're definitely warmer uh, to us. But <clears throat> some of these attorneys have taken a position that, you know, they are the smartest people in the room. And, and um, you know, if you don't have a law degree, you can't speak intelligently about, mm -hmm. about the law. So I think um, what you're saying is, uh, spot on, right? You know, um, kind of butter them up a little bit, uh, warm up to, you know, warm them up to, you know, you are an expert or you do know, um, you know, certain aspects sure. of, of, uh, what is going on here so that you can, you know, then kind of, uh, present, 
uh, what it is you want to present to them. I agree with that 100%. I think that's that's vitally important. And any any handler, when you go into court, you are the expert. There's not going to be when you whether you even if you're you know six months out of a your first uh, academy and you're going for a, a you know maybe a drug case or something like that. There's not one person in that room that knows more about police dogs than you do, unless there's another handler or somebody in there. But most people are you know don't know anything about it. So that's why you know uh, going to classes and continuing ed and doing stuff like with your website and everything so vitally important because you know you can then speak as a intelligent person you know in our field and kind of represent it and once i think once you show an attorney you know what you're doing or you know sometimes a judge will ask you a question as long as you can speak intelligently and maybe cite the correct case it's going to go a whole long ways towards your credibility right off the bat i could not agree more i think that that's spot on yep so the moral of this story is basically, you know, when you're when you've used force with your dog, um, follow it through and maybe, uh, you know, try and talk to the prosecutor early in the discussion, saying, you know, I understand you might probably have to plea this out, but can we talk about, you know, this part of the case and and why it's important, you know, both for the department and you know for the the civil liability part of it, and maybe not drop the the lowest charge that they might see on there just to, to arrange some type of plea bargain. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. And I, I've, I've uh, talked to prosecutors and I said, you know, Hey, I'm good. You know, I, I'm out of uh, the Chicagoland area. So Illinois and, um, uh, resisting arrest is a, uh, misdemeanor offense. And I've told them, I said, listen, I, I dropped the felonies as it relates in exchange for this plea for the misdemeanor resisting. I mean, that's a good deal for them and it's yeah. a good deal for us. And, um, so, and then, then the, you know, the prosecutors are looking at me like, what are you talking about? Why, why would I want to do that? And then, you know, you know like you said, you just have a conversation with them about, um, the civil side of things. And, um, generally speaking, uh, I've had pretty good luck once I've, I've, um, had a good conversation. Yeah. Uh, with the prosecutor on and they're like oh you know what hey i we didn't even think of that you know that's yeah well i get it it's not your area of expertise and uh you know we're just trying to help ourselves out here you know yeah i think that's uh excellent information so have you seen you know wrapping this up for this episode um and it's kind of the year end of the year have you seen any other you know similar um liability trends on the police the patrol dog side of things um, I have, um, and it's a, I, I think what we're, we've got a much larger, uh, topic, uh, to discuss in on that, um, and, and probably a best for a, uh, another episode, sure. uh, but we're going to probably look at some of these, like this mental illness and using the dog. Um, and then this, this real is really what it comes down to. It boils down to Jeff is, um, intended, um, bites or seizures if you would um as opposed to unintended bites uh or an unintended seizure under the fourth amendment how do the courts kind of look at that um so we're starting to see that come up quite a bit and i think you would agree um that when we started in law enforcement so many years ago you know, we didn't have the number of psych calls or mental calls that we are dealing with today i mean sure you know make the, you know now it's it's 
you know, officers are responding multiple times a day to these mental calls and stuff like that. And then they become, uh, uh, difficult, you know, yeah. uh, to, to handle because, you know, uh, officers start questioning, you know, well, what is, what exactly is my authority here? Um, you know, we're not dealing with a crime or, we're, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and so it kind of muddies the water, <coughs> excuse me, a little bit. So, yeah, I think that'd be a great one. And I probably, um, I'd like to uh, probably focus a whole episode with you very soon on this whole duration of the bite and some of the, I think some of the things that, um, you know, we've done over the years, or at least have been, been uh, trained, you know, for example, the bring my dog to me type of training. I've never been a fan of that, but I think those are the things that are going to definitely get us in trouble now with a body camera and um, not, not stopping the, the bite sooner. Oh yeah. 100% agree with, with you. And I, I have a methodology that I teach uh, on that on that topic, and I just um, funny that you brought that up. I just took a case, um, um, and I won't talk uh, any more sure. about where from or anything at this particular point in time. But um, the handler used the methodology that I teach uh, on that, which I uh, we call as the clear down and move up method, and. Um, it, it, it just it was a, a beautiful almost I would say textbook uh, textbook uh, deployment nice and yeah. so we, we definitely are seeing those things pop up and so I agree with you we, we should uh, we should definitely focus a, a good conversation on yeah. that well that's great I think it's a this good introductory episode to kind of let people know you know what uh, your plan and my plan is for this uh, podcast and doing very regular episodes we'll keep them short like this so guys can listen to it on their way into work or whatever, and uh, maybe discuss it at, at their training day or something. So I'm looking forward to, you know, very regular features and I uh, appreciate you taking the time today. Absolutely. Pleasure. And um, um, I, I'm a big fan of yours and, uh, and your podcast. So, uh, you know, it's an honor for me to be here and, um, you know, um, very, very humbling. So well, I appreciate, I appreciate that. And because I know some people don't want to look at the show notes, can you, uh, Put out your uh, web address right now, please. Oh, sure. It's uh, www.sheepdogguardian.com. And uh, there you can uh, find a, um, a very robust library of uh, canine-related case law and uh, resources and articles that are written by industry experts as they relate to various uh, uh, canine industry disciplines. And um, it's also got... Um, our newsletters uh, up there that we send out every month and um, our upcoming seminars. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, it's worth every penny. So uh, definitely check out the the site. And I think everybody should be members of it. Even, uh, you know, if you got to pay for it yourself, uh, sometimes you got to do that, but it's worth it. And it'll uh, make you a better handler for sure. So I appreciate it. Well, thanks, Mike. I will, uh, we'll be back in touch and we'll be putting these out very regularly. So uh, I appreciate it. Great job. Thanks very much.